0: Member FDIC. Social entrepreneurship and bivocational ministry. This is episode 109 of Church and Maine. to Church in Maine. This is the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. This is a podcast where we talk about religion and where it comes in contact with public affairs. I'm Dennis Sanders. I'm your host. Well, happy August. Um, Some of you are going to be hearing this on the first uh, day of August, so it's hard to believe the 2022 is flying by. Well, for today's podcast, I am actually what you would call a bivocational pastor. Now, for some, most of you probably know this term, but for those who don't, it means basically that in addition to being a pastor, of which I am, um, I have a job outside the church. My job in the church is part-time. Um, I have another part-time job. Um, in my case, yeah. I am a um, communications manager <laughs> actually at another church. Um, bivocational, or sometimes it's called tent-making ministry, and that actually comes from the Bible um, in Acts, um, that's becoming an increasingly common option, especially as more and more churches, as uh, kind of the changes in society, they're not able to have a full-time pastor. Now, as churches, more and more churches are finding themselves um, not able to have full-time ministry This has actually caused mainline denominations, which I think for a long time didn't pay attention to this, are are starting to take notice. And so they are now doing things like trying to offer ideas of how to help um, pastors who find themselves now working part-time find outside work. One idea has been uh, taking part in social entrepreneurship. Now, the way that that is... uh, for some of you who are wondering what in the world is this, um, this is a definition that I found. Um, it was on the Faith and Leadership website from Duke Seminary, and this is how it's defined. It is the process of pursuing innovative solution to social problems. For Christian leaders, this blending of, of a business model with Christian mission can be a valuable tool to help sustain an organization while at the time time bearing witness to the reign of God. Now, that all sounds exciting, and um, actually, I can see a lot of people, whether or not they are ministers or not, could see this as something that they would want to do. But is it really an option for uh, bivocational ministry? Lauren Richmond Jr. does not think so. Uh, Lauren is a minister um, in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and he has his own misgivings about social entrepreneurship, especially social entrepreneurship when it comes to how it can fund bivocational ministry. Now, Lauren is also the host of the Future Christian Podcast. And if you haven't heard it, uh, definitely uh, give it a listen. I will put the, the, the link in um, the show notes. And so he and I kind of talk a little bit about this endeavor and why it may not be the best way to supplement part-time ministry. So let's get on and let's hear that um, uh, debate, uh, interview with Lauren Richmond, Jr. So, hey, Lauren, um, good to have you back on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: So this is a a topic that I think we are both interested in, and that would be um, bivocational ministry. But there's actually kind of, I think, a certain part of that, um, because I think normally when we think of bivocational ministry, it's going to be someone that is um, working um has a call to ministry and then has something else outside of that. It could be a another part-time or full-time job as a sheriff or a journalist or something to that extent. Right. Um but you're some, talking about something a little bit different. And that would be um I think the cash word the, the catchword that they are using these days is social entrepreneurship. So um why don't you talk a little bit about what that is and then what problems you have with it.
1: Yeah, social entrepreneurship, broadly speaking, if you Google it, search it on the internet, you're going to find kind of a myriad of definitions. As I understand it, the the broadest or the most simplistic understanding, I think, is basically it's some kind of enterprise that has multiple bottom lines. And by bottom lines, I mean uh, not just profit, being the the only motivator as in a normal kind of nine to five business. But many social entrepreneurship, uh, programs will have people, planet profit. And then if it's a religious or spiritually based nonprofit or social entrepreneurship, um, there'll be a spiritual quote unquote bottom line they're trying to attain as well. So, um, Again, people being there's it's a it's a business entity or enterprise is trying to benefit people in some capacity. Uh It's trying to be uh, do no harm or at, at worst and perhaps beneficial to the planet. And then again, profit is trying to be sustainable to some extent. And then again, if it's religious focused or spiritual focused, there's there's going to be some desire to make a a benefit to the spiritual lives or religious lives of people. So that's kind of the, the the broadest speaking of that's kind of a simplistic definition of kind of what social entrepreneurship is broadly speaking.
0: Okay. And then how is this related to church, especially to ministry these days?
1: Yeah. As I see it, at least there's a lot of, or I've seen more and more, uh, denominations and and networks trying to promote social entrepreneurship as a bivocational or you know whatever word we want to use bivocational co vocational uh, marketplace ministry approach to um to helping sustain you know pay the bills frankly so people can live their lives pay the rent you know feed feed themselves and their family or their, whoever their loved ones are. And then, um, be able to, to afford kind of doing ministry in addition to that. Um, mm-hmm. the challenges I see it at least is that starting a business is hard. Um, the hundreds, thousands of businesses start every year in America and by and large, most of them fail, uh, for a variety of reasons because it's, it's hard to start a business and um i think the challenge as i see it is that social entrepreneurship is a is a great idea um but i i worry that it's kind of asking too much and it's it's going it to be really hard to to sustain ministry and also starting a business essentially if that makes sense mhm
0: now, what would be an example of a social entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, so the fascinating thing about social entrepreneurship is it really is a amalgamous, if, that, if I'm using the right word there, kind of concept where it doesn't really fit into one legal framework. So uh, social entrepreneurs will use all kinds of a variety of business um, structures or frameworks. Some will be LLCs, some will be nonprofits, some will be C-Corps uh some of the S-corps. I mean there's a, really a variety. It's again it's less of a specific legal framework or definition and more of a a concept or uh value. Um in some contexts um may some might have heard of the term B Corp, which is like a benefit corp. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's kind of a company that again seeks to do more than just make money and be some kind of benefit to again the planet or their employees or the community Um, so that can be construed or defined as a social entrepreneurship Uh, a lot of folks will again sometimes use the legal formation as a nonprofit but operate like a like some kind of a business out of that nonprofit um, which again is legal in in a uh, in that kind of concept maybe get into the weeds here, but any profits basically just have to go right back into the nonprofit. They can't be pulled out by owners or shareholders as in like a traditional business. Um, But those are kind of different legal frameworks or contexts that people use to do it. And again, it's just trying to some, it's broadly speaking some kind of business entity that exists to, to, to do business while also solving a bigger problem. Okay.
0: And when you talk about this in re- in relation to um, bivocational ministry, you're not talking about the person who is a minister, but let's say minister part of the time, but also is a computer programmer. Um, that's usually kind of has been the traditional understanding of what bivocational right, ministry right. is, correct?
1: Right. Like my dad is, was, is still, he's retired from his quote-unquote secular job, um, but he was a bivocational, to use the word pastor for many years as a Baptist minister. Uh, he would work security jobs. So that, that's kind of a really traditional understanding of, of bivocational. So um, I met another pastor a while back who drives a bus for the for the Denver area metro bus system. You know, those kind of things to have some kind of steady paycheck while also doing ministry uh, on the side. Mm -hmm. So with
0: this is kind of the social entrepreneurship, obviously you have had some issues, take issues with it. What are the problems that you see um, with this trend?
1: Yeah. And I think, I think it's more like a concern that, I don't want to be too harsh here, but I, my concern is that it's setting it's setting people up for, for a false – I'm not sure what the word is. like a a false um, – like a false dream. That's not the right word. Um, false expectations perhaps. And again, I think it's kind of like – I think it's some – this is perhaps too harsh of a comparison to this. But what comes to mind is kind of MLMs, multi-level marketing – uh, programs, hmm. you know, like um, Lou, what Lululemon and the what the the Shake people and Amway, like those folks at the top will tell you that anybody can go into um, selling Lululemon or um, is, that, is that the right one? Lululemon, I'm forgetting whatever the clothing one is that sold women's clothing, Nutrisystems, for example, I think is one. You know, you can go into it and make make a lot of money. Um, but for the the reality is like a lot of people who go into MLMs don't make any money. They lose money and and just, it's kind of a wash for them if anything, Mm -hmm. because the, the, like the, the, the context is such that again, like it's hard to start and sustain a business. Like, like, like for, for many, um, selling women's clothing, for instance, You know, um, only so many people really want to buy, you know, there's only so much market share available to be had. Um, oh, there's all kinds of complex market dynamics. Um, so someone, you know, people do make money selling Nutrisystem, selling Amway, uh, but they really have to have a kind of a nice convergence of things going their way of being a good salesperson of, of having access to potential customers, really just that confluence of things going right, um, and for unfortunately many many people, things just don't work out that way, and it becomes a drain on them—drain um, of their time, drain of their money, drain of their resources. And the the intent is good, like hey, I'm going to make a little money to support my family. You know, a lot of like stay at home moms were doing this, um, like hey, I'm going to help be a support for my family. But the the broader market forces are such that it really just makes it really difficult to sustain and to grow in an MLM and I, I don't want to cast social entrepreneurship in the same dispersion um, and again when I'm speaking of social entrepreneurship I'm, I'm I'm talking about more in this kind of narrow context of like a as like a startup kind of small startup business similar to an MLM like like a big kind of B Corp, uh, like a big business that's really built and has has the scale and the size to um, be competitive on the kind of global economic scale. Like they have a totally different set of rules and metrics really to work against. Um, but for a small, you know, entrepreneur like you and me, because, uh, you know, we might say you and I, Dennis, we both do podcasts. We're kind of like social entrepreneurs, Right. Um, mm-hmm. we're trying to do a good, but we'd also love to be like, make some money to pay our bills. Right. Mm hmm. So I think, I think that's and the challenge is, um, you know, in small spaces in the right context, it can work. But I think like broadly speaking, it's a really difficult sell. Um, and like what happens with like many of those MLM folks is like, It ends up taking just up so much time. Um, Like, uh, like NutriSystems will often say, like, we just need you to talk to seven people a day about NutriSystems. Like, that sounds simple, but finding seven brand new people to talk to every single day, like, that's 49 people a week. And I I don't do math bunch beyond that, which that works out to a year. But I mean, that's a lot of people um, you have to be running into. That's a lot of time.
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah. Do you think that also some of this is really based on a certain skill? I mean, you know, obviously not everyone can program a computer. Not everyone can do plumbing. Um, Things like social entrepreneurship and and the word, and the stressing on the word entrepreneur, that you kind of have to have that skill of how to sell something and sell well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, Pretty much can tell you right now i'm not that type of a person i don't have that right. skill um, right so it does that limit who can go into social entrepreneurship
1: yeah and i think i think that's an important point you raised dennis because i don't know about you i'm guessing i'm an introvert for sure uh i don't know how you mm-hmm. identify but i'm guessing you're probably on that side right like we only have so much kind of yes, social I capital am to expend and i was really good on sundays and i'm really good on sundays about when i need to about really being outgoing and energetic but kind of there's a limited amount of resources i have there so i wouldn't want to be using up kind of all my social energy on trying to sell something door-to-door for my business just for example um the other you know the other aspect of it is is kind of a more basic, as I see it, um, kind of business principles. So two super basic principles in, you know, capitalist, our capitalist economy is the principle of um, scale and specialization of labor. So here's a simple example, right? So last summer I started getting into like basic, basic, basic woodworking. So I mean, like super basic, like two by fours and stuff at Home Depot, building stuff like that, a one by so-and-so, you know, I'm not doing a whole lot of specialization, but um, my sister-in-law found these Adirondack chairs from this YouTuber, Anna White, said, hey, can you make these? I said, sure. So, it you know, they're fairly simple. Um, so I made them and they're like, uh, my sister-in-law or her husband, I'm like, hey, you should you could sell these. And I thought, well, I could, but what would I have to charge, you know, to make it worth my time? You know, I, I did some looking on Facebook and sell, found someone selling the similar chairs for $130. Now, um, lumber alone is freaking expensive. So it's probably about 70, 80 bucks just for the materials and doing the work, it even if I'm quick, probably takes me about two hours. Um, So if I sold a chair for $130 and then paying myself 25 bucks an hour, I'm pushing right there, just right there, there I'm pushing, um, breaking even without even filtering in Mm -hmm. or adding in costs like marketing, um, going and buying the wood at the hardware store, transporting it back to my house um again with a small context um in small scale you know i can't buy bulk like i'm not buying a um a bunk of wood for instance you know i'm not buying stain in big multi jug gallons so it really makes it uh the scale difficult and and really what scale is what more and more startups and big startups are using is um you know, I was watching a video on food delivery and how basically food delivery companies are just burning through cash, not making any money. But they're kind of they're kind of banking on the fact that they're just gonna get so big that eventually they'll have enough market share uh, to be able to make it, to be able to actually finally turn a profit. Um, so I think at least as I see it in our modern economy, like really you can you can be successful business person in two ways. Like either you're really small, like an Etsy person, um, or you're running a huge corporate conglomerate. Uh, the challenge is like you can have a little Etsy shop and make a few dollars here and there, but I don't know if it's enough to like sustain like your livelihood, even on a part-time scale. Um, and it's, you know, really, 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 really hard. You need millions of dollars in investment to become a, you know, corporate scale to really have a large impact beyond that.
0: Why do you think that this is being pushed as an option? And I have, like, you have seen it in different places. And I think maybe before we were recording and talking about this, um, my own seminary is um, hosting an event on this um, in the fall. Uh, my alma mater, I should say. um yeah. Seminary. So why do you think that so many churches denominations are showing this as an option?
1: I mean, I, again, I, I've been involved in groups and I don't want to dismiss, dismiss or diminish what I've been involved in. I think it's been helpful. Um, but yeah, like, like I've seen like your seminary and others promote this as like a, like a, uh, almost like a, again as a viable alternative or funding source for pastors and i'm just like well let's slow the brakes down and i think obviously part of it has to do with just the realization that um you know pastors aren't getting paid much full-time jobs are harder and harder to come by and i'm i'm just guessing like there's lots of institutional money where they're trying to think innovatively and creatively which is good broadly speaking it's good um they're trying to they're trying to solve a problem. I just, I am just hesitant to think that, you know, again, I I just think like, I don't mean to cast dispersions, but I think, you know, promoting this to pastors as like, as like a Bible second income stream, I think I just want us to be cautious because like, again, it just reminds me of like when I was in Bible college, for instance, this is in 20 years ago, some years ago in Springfield, Missouri. And, uh, gosh, what was the company Airbon? I think for some reason, somebody came in with Airbond, and like suddenly everybody was like buying into our Ar- Airbon, Arbon, whatever it is, Arbon, like thinking, Oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to make a little, we're going to make us some money here and really be able to like fund our ministry. And then like what, six months, three months, six months later, like, no one's talking about Airbonne, Arbon, whatever it was, because they realized, like, you know, the the market's not span- sustainable. Like, you know, you don't need, like, 10, 20 couples around a small little Bible college area, like, selling Arbon. Like, there's just not that many customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just makes it really hard.
0: So what do you think is the solution? Because I think one of the problems that we're facing especially in mainline churches is that you're having smaller and smaller congregations and they can't really pay full-time salaries anymore um and like in your discussion with um jeff mcdonald it's just getting difficult um and so vocational ministry is an option um is it really just that we they should people should kind of steer clear of just the social um, entrepreneurship aspect of that, but the rest of vocational ministry is okay, or or what do you think?
1: I mean, again, I don't want to completely throw out social entrepreneurship. I think it's just like it's just like think about think about modern economics. Here is like to be a successful business you need tons of capital like if you're going to go start a, a restaurant or a business you know you need lots and lots of capital um, you're gonna to have to get hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment whether you know through through investors through taking on a loan you know you're going to have to work a couple several months without a paycheck um, before you're gonna make any money for yourself that's not like an instant cash solution for someone who's trying to do something as a bivocational option. Like it's the opposite. In fact, like you're going to, it's going to be that much harder. Um, you know, so again, I, I'm looking at this purely as a, as a financial, I'm kind of critiquing this as like a financial buy, you know, viability plan. You know, many people, again, use social entrepreneurship as like a, as a social good endeavor, which is positive. My kind of hesitancy or putting on the brakes is like, Hey, let's, let's, let's be a little bit more critical when we're thinking about this as like a viable financial alternative. Um, so again, this is my perspective here. So I, I, you know, I wonder Dennis thinking really big, big time. And again, uh, for folks who haven't listened to it, Dennis is referencing my, uh, future Christian podcast interview with Jeffrey McDonald, who writes about part-time clergy. Um, you know, super cynical me, Dennis. Speaking of seminaries, is like, is sometimes like, how can seminaries like justify like taking our money? <laughs> you
0: know, um, that, that, yeah, I think that's a legitimate question.
1: So, uh, you know, in in my former context where I grew up, uh, independent Baptist, the the folks went to Bible college and that was their ministry training. Um, you know. I wonder if, if, if we have folks who are interested in, you know, if we can, again, this, this goes into a broader conversation, Dennis, about training people for ministry, uh, especially when they're young. If we can identify them in high school and college, can we, can we encourage them to go after, you know, some kind of uh, program like you talked about, like become an accountant, computer programmer, something that's going to be low Like, you're not going to be out there hustling for income. You can have some kind of dependable, flexible income and hours. Uh, And then if you want to go into seminary, you know, should seminary, you know, uh, should we require pastors to become ordained to do four years of seminary? Should it be less? You know, these are big questions more than obviously we can solve, at least in this podcast. But I think, um, you know, those are probably, I think, probably a more viable sustainable option than encouraging everyone to start a business as a way to like supplement their income
0: you know one of the things I've noticed about um, social entrepreneurship is um, you know I'm on YouTube a lot just to to listen but also I upload our congregation sermons and everything and um, it's always fascinating to see people who start YouTube channels,
1: yeah, um, yeah,
0: and how you know I what it it seems like there's a lot of these people who are just kind of normal everyday folk that somehow they are able to start a channel and then they are able to live off of it, and so it seems to present the the image that anyone can do this and start it, mm-hmm. and um. And, you know, you'll be making money in no time. But it seems like the reality, though, is that it's a lot harder than that. You know, it takes just a lot to, to get, make sure you, know, you have the videos up and then make sure that they are being promoted and all of this stuff. And, you know, I do more on the podcast side, but it's, I think that there's some similarities there, that it's it's not... It gives, I think, especially because of, of its social nature, the, the illusion that it's very easy. And I think the reality is is very hard.
1: Are you familiar with the term survivor bias. I think that's the right term. Basically, it's like, oh, you know, no one wore seatbelts when I was a kid and, and I'm fine. It's kind of like, yeah, because oh, all yeah. the people yeah. who, who are, didn't wear a seatbelt and died in car accidents aren't here to talk about it, right? So... Again, obviously, people can and do make money becoming a YouTuber. Um, Yeah. You you and I are very similar, Dennis. I'll watch YouTube for hours on end for for some nights, Mm just enjoying watching different videos. And there's this one YouTuber, uh, How Money Works, I think. um, And he he did a video on whether your side hustle is realistic to think about. So, again, these are different things that are informing my thought here. Um and he, and he had the kind of five broad rules you said that you should think about with a side hustle. Like the most obvious one like should it can it make money? Um and again even that's kind of contextual like cuz like you know yes YouTube uh can make money, doing a podcast can make money, but will it make money? Like probably not. No. Um so, you know, again, this is this is my hesitance we see with many you know, promoting social entrepreneurship as a, as a supplemental income strategy. And that's, that's the better word here. Supplemental income strategy is like, I don't know. Um, like me selling chairs, Adirondack and a white chairs, like I can make money. Like it's not inconceivable. That I could make money. Um, but do I, you know, do I really want to just be spending like 30 hours a week, like building chairs? Like, no, it sounds awful. Um, and it's probably not, a viable like there at some point like people don't you know people aren't going to buy like just a bunch of like Lowe's two by four stained Adirondack chairs right
0: Mm-hmm. yeah you know I, again I think it's the nature of and I, I don't like doing this because I think everyone these days we want to blame social media for everything um mm-hmm but it does give the illusion again that yeah. it's, it's, it's easy. Um, and, you know, you're talking about podcasts and I, you know, do have options that people want to donate. um, And, you know, some people have, some people haven't, but I think if you're really interested in getting, making some money off of a podcast, you have to really hit that hard. And I'm either it's, I'm lazy or, probably more, I just don't feel like I want to spend most of my time doing that. And I, and especially on a religious podcast, I mean, if it's a secular one and we're talking about politics or something, I think it might be a bit easier, but it's a lot of work to make money. Um, You just don't. And I think maybe that's, I don't know if that's kind of what you're getting at is that there's a, it makes it seem like it's really easy to make money and it has never, ever been easy to make money um, to, so to be an entrepreneur you yeah. have to really work
1: so uh, uh, I studied social entrepreneurship also in my MBA program I graduated uh, may of this year with a MBA with a nonprofit emphasis and uh, the mm. school I went to was like an evangelical ish school and uh, one of the programs we studied was called business as mission and basically that's the idea that uh, missionaries will go overseas start a business and then use that as a, as a way to evangelize or again, so broadly speaking, it's kind of like a social entrepreneurship because they want to make money. They want to sustain the business, but also they're trying to reach people. Um, so there's a, a spiritual bottom line. Um, so I remember like talking to my professor about it. I'm like, Oh, this sounds great. Like do more people do this in the States? And he's like, well, no, because it's really hard to start a business. Um, you know, if you're going to a uh, an undeveloped nation, it's not it, the 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 points of the barriers of entry or startup costs, startup you know things are are lower. So you can come in with some money and some capital and some resources and some know how and start a business. Um, yeah. But you know, I don't. You're not going to necessarily like start a a shoe company selling shoes. Um, it's going to be really hard to make that sustainable here in the States, for instance.
0: So what would you say to, you know, colleges or to seminaries or things that are kind of lifting this up as a model? um, How would you, how would you advise them? And, and maybe I should also add, how would you also advise a pastor that either is, currently in a, in a halftime call or is interested in church planning, but, um, what would you tell them?
1: Yeah, this is, uh, let me see. The first part is, I think, um, blanking now. So how to, as a ministry model, if you're using as a model for Mm -hmm. ministry, I think it can be, you know, I'm okay with it. Um, the, the word of caution would be I would say is there's a common example that that's it goes around and like I, I read about it during my MBA program from like Stanford Business Review or Harvard Business Review or one of those on a social entrepreneurship business uh, journal articles basically about this nonprofit who's like oh we're gonna start a not, we're gonna start a social entrepreneurship business selling um, salad dressing and they had their people make salad dressing they're like yeah we we, we can do the cost and it only costs us like 350 a bottle and they were so excited because it, it was cheaper uh than like an uh off the shelf you know bottle of salad dressing and someone went back in and did the the real true cost and they realized that it was actually 90 dollars a bottle like their true costs of uh salad dressing so uh, if you're looking at it as like a, a ministry model, whether that be, um, you know, job opportunities for low income or um, folks who are – there's some social entrepreneurships that create um, job opportunities for um, folks who are, um, what, mentally challenged? What's the word I'm looking for there? Um, oh, um, blanking on the, the correct phraseology there. Uh, learning challenges, that those kind of things. For them, that's again, that's a good, good ministry opportunity. You're probably not going to make money, and you really need to account for the real, true cost of what that's going to be, and not thinking of it as like, oh, well, this is going to be a, a revenue-producing entity for our nonprofit or church. Like, it's going to cost you more money uh, that you're probably not accounting for. Um, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're like a, if you're someone like me who's always looking at starting new ministries or new churches, like, I mean. I would look at like Costco or the U S postal service, be honest, because, you know, something like Costco, you can get a job. If there's a Costco in your area, they have reasonable hours of like 10 to six, 10 to seven. Like you're going to get paid like 25 bucks an hour. Um, I think they're fairly decent to work for and you can mm-hmm. have probably, you can at least get one day, of the weekend free, I guess, especially if you say for religious exemptions, I imagine uh, and you're going to have like a guaranteed paycheck if you work for the postal service. It's not great paying. It's like 20 bucks an hour. But, um, you know, I've thought about even like substitute teaching, being even a you know, school teacher. Like, you know, I, I'm kind of in the job hunt now. I'm like, you know, I can get a job as a substitute teacher. It's not like my dream job, but gives me it would give me flexibility to pay my bills with consistent hours that I can control when I work. I mean the challenge of working something like Amazon it's like you're really at their mercy the work is brutal and it's Amazon right um so that's kind of that example and I think third you know for colleges and seminaries I wonder if um like years ago this was like my Bible college days um there was like a like it was a Bible college everyone majored in Bible right uh, I was talking to a resume coach, Dennis, recently. You'd love this, and she's like, "What's your, what's your major?" And I was like, "Bible," and she's like, "Can can we say more than just Bible? If that sounds weird." <laughs> so she's like, "I said, well, what if we said biblical studies?" Sure, um, but you know, should seminaries like? Uh, I have a friend who did a MDiv and an MSW, Master of Social Work. Again, I'd caution that because those are, you know being a caseworker in hospital or being a social worker in the community is very taxing and very demanding and i at least for me i only have so much margin to give out um so doing really two demanding caring professions might be hard but kind of in that vein i wonder like could seminaries like could you you know whether it's in college could you come out with like a a business degree uh in seminary could they give you some kind of like business certificate Along with your MDiv, I don't know. There's just some ideas. Because um, the reality is, like, we know Dennis, that it's harder to get a full time job.
0: Well, I mean, I think that that brings up a question that could be a, that's some, this is probably a whole other podcast is how do we change? Do we need to consider changing or looking at how we train pastors these days, um, especially yeah. in mainline um, Protestant circles? the model that we have was, I think, suited for the 20th century, and I, I probably, I would say, from the early to mid-20th century. Yeah. Um, does that model still work? Um, because I think that's, that's actually a question we haven't really kind of dealt with. And I think even today, um, I think seminaries in some ways are still – Training people as if um, when they go out and are ordained, that they will have a full time call. That yeah. might not be the case anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm even hesitant. I mean, in my former seminaries, doing this like these MS, um, MAs, and kind of like social justice stuff, where I'm like, that's great, but where do you find it? Where are you going to find a job with like a social justice master's degree? I, don't, I mean, Uh, Probably some community organizing, I guess. Um, But again, that's that's really demanding work, and um, it's very demanding work. I think, from my perspective at least, it's gonna be hard to do be a community organizer a day and then a pastor by night. Like, yeah, there's a lot of overlap, but again, people don't have so much margin, so much so much energy, and I think compassion fatigue is real. Um, And we gotta have you gotta have some margin left for yourself and your your relationships and and um your own stuff i think so it's tough it's really tough Uh, you know i think i don't can't remember if we talked about this in my interview with jeff but i think shared parishes if that's the Mm -hmm. right term would be a really a really good like you know there's two churches open in my region here in, in our disciples of christ region which they're not that far from one another and i i'm tempted to like talk to my regional minister and say, it would make so much more sense because both these churches are kind of struggling. Like they're probably going to like put out a lot of money. And, and again, like we talked about in my interview with Jeff on my podcast, like they're kind of overextend themselves to hire a full-time pastor thinking that's going to like solve things. And then it's going to be like, uh, maybe, whereas if they could, if they could kind of come together and say, let's agree on this this candidate to work half at this church, half of this church, like then the then the candidate can get like a decent living wage at both churches while each church would have some margin for other ministry opportunities.
0: hmm Yeah, I think that, that when I heard that on, on your podcast, I thought that that's actually a, a really good idea. Um, yeah. I think that that's going to be harder in some denominations more than others, right? Um, again, just because we aren't, we aren't we don't aren't set up to think that way as much. Um, yeah. It's fascinating, though, being where I am with a lot of Lutherans. Um, it's not as much in Minnesota, though. It is a little bit, but if you go into some of the. Um, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America synods, if you go west into the Dakotas in North and South Dakota, a lot of the churches are, um, are parishes. I mean, there are two-point or three-point parishes mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Um, the pastor might either spend some parts of the Sunday on one church and one another, or they may even rotate. Um, yeah. they are they're one Sunday and there are another. Um, but that might actually be the I mean, we, I think we look at that now as just a a solution for rural churches. Right. But that may have to be considered for other churches as well. And that yeah. might be one way of handling, dealing with how do you pay a salary and help pastors eat.
1: Yeah, so another example kind of similar to this vein, Dennis, is uh, when I was going to seminary, I would, um, I would work kind of like nine to two in a warehouse and then I'd go officiate basketball Mm -hmm. games. Uh, so, and then I'd Mm -hmm. come home and read a couple, uh, read for a couple hours for school or do some postings. And it was obviously extremely demanding. Uh, some days I was exhausted and I I officiated basketball for nine, 10 seasons and I eventually stopped because I realized like it just wasn't worth the money. Um, you know, I, would have to commit, Basically five hours between travel times and getting to the games early and officiating the games and driving home and when you calculate kind of uh mileage costs uh, versus what I was actually getting paid for the game, I was realizing like I'm making like ten dollars an hour here like this just isn't worth it um that being no. said, you know when I was doing it early on, I would do double headers j v games for those who understand that parlance and it was it made it a little uh, more reasonable to work a game back to back um so yeah i think in the right context if if you can have a situation where the you know the churches are either close to one another or willing to work together um and like jeff talked about in, in in our interview like you can in that context develop maybe someone who can preach within the congregation to fill the the Sundays you're gone. You could, I mean, he's really outside the box. Dennis for mainline context, maybe do a video live video. Like we've been watching, we've been watching like YouTube and zoom for like, um, the year and a half, two years, two and a half years. Like, I mean, evangelical churches do this all the time with satellite churches. We'll have they do satellite yeah. church. That's there's a speaker on a video. Like, I don't think that's be that, um, horrific to like come to church and watch your pastor from the other location, you know, be on screen. Now, obviously, that would require a decent amount of tech, but it's not infeasible, and it's certainly cheaper than hiring a, another full-time pastor.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and again, we could do actually several episodes on all of this, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I kind of like you, because I come from, Originally grew up in evangelical and the black church,
1: mm-hmm.
0: there was a lot of, of ways of having to think outside the box. And um, growing up as I did in Michigan, um, a lot of the churches where I went to it were African American churches. Most of those pastors were also people who worked in the auto plants. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they mm-hmm. had a job. Um, there, there almost needs to be more people kind of like um Jeff McDonald that are 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 willing to think outside of the box because i think for mostly mainline churches that had, had never been necessary to think outside yeah. of the box and um now we need to and and need to do that um and do it a lot
1: yeah let me say one or two more things jeff or dennis if i can um, yeah 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 before we wrap here mm-hmm. one is that Like I, my dad was a pastor when I was a kid, and like we talked about, he worked outside the house. So when I say like it's tough, like I speak from experience when I say it's tough on families. Like Mm -hmm. the story I give, Dennis, I remember I I shared this with like a a, uh, a clergy group when I went was invited to like an evangelical clergy group. Was I said like my first. T-ball practice like some dude from the church took me because my dad was working Mm. Um, so like that's a memory I still have like i'm not angry at my dad Um, but it's just a memory I have of like my first t-ball practice like some rando dude from the church Taking me to t-ball practice because my dad had to work um Like I know what that's like as a as a kid uh, so whether you know, even if you don't have kids you probably have relationships and you know, there's going to be a sacrifice, um, to be vocational. Um, so I, I just want to acknowledge like there's, there's trade-offs for everything. Uh, and then the other thing, again, you know, I, I don't, I, I want to, again, kind of contextualize my bang on social entrepreneurship is to say, you know, as a, as a ministry kind of social good thing, I'm for it. Like I'm definitely, um, this is pro, like, examining capitalism and finding better ways to do, you know, economics. Uh, as a supplemental income for pastors, I'm really hesitant. Um, and I just want to encourage people to be prudent about, um, you know, what is it really costing you, uh, whether it's like my example of basketball officiating, like mileage, wear and tear on your gas, your hours, like, is it really worth it to have a business? Or would you be better off just going to work at Starbucks or Costco or the postal service? Um, you know, there's, there's costs involved that we often don't um, fully account for. And, you know, I am definitely, definitely, definitely for as someone who has an MBA, a master of business administration, uh, finding ways to better capitalism. Like I'm not, I wouldn't like, I'm definitely mm-hmm. a critic of mm-hmm. capitalism. Um, but I, so I'm I'm all for finding different ways and better ways to do business. But I worry about, you know, uh, seeing this as some magic silver bullet that's going to solve the clergy pay crisis.
0: Yeah, and I think a good way to kind of cap this off is that there is no magic bullet. There is nothing right. that will easily right. solve this. And to use an economic term there are trade-offs every choice you Mm -hmm. have, there's going to be things that are kind of on the downside of it. And Mm -hmm. we just have to choose wisely. Yeah. So before I let you go, how can people contact you?
1: Yeah. um, And, and,
0: and you can know, and this is also how you can promote your podcast as well.
1: Yeah. Dennis and I, Dennis, you've been so kind and and, uh, gracious allowing, uh, promoting future Christian podcast, really appreciate it. So, uh as uh, Dennis and I share similar side hustles, so we know the struggle is real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can amen. find more about me at resonatemediapro.com, uh resonatemediapro.com. If you search Future Christian podcast, you can find that on all the all the podcast apps, but I I love having these conversations. So, you know, if you're like, "Hey, Lauren, I disagree." Hit me up. Uh, we can chat more. Um, I'm passionate about the church and helping pastors and leaders succeed.
0: All right. Well, Lauren, it was good to have you on again. I hope to have you on again soon. So take care. Pleasure is mine. All right. I had with Lauren as um, enlightening, um, and then uh, just to let you know that hopefully in the near future, I will be doing a little bit more um, about vocational ministry itself, um, kind of without looking at social entrepreneurship, just because I think it's an issue. Obviously, it's an issue that's near and dear to my heart, but I think it's an issue for the church, um, especially um, in the decades to come, and especially for mainline Protestants Um that may not be used to having part-time ministry. So I hope that you um, will stay tuned and um, and listen in to a future episode as we talk about uh, bivocational ministry. Um, I want to end with kind of a special note, which is, um, in some ways, has nothing to do with either today's topic or maybe even the podcast. But um, I do want to just kind of lift it up because I am a... Um, I like science fiction, um, love Star Trek, and um I found out today, uh, I'm recording this on January, on July 31st, but that on yesterday, July 30th, um, Michelle Nichols passed um, at the age of um, 89. She, if um, you are um, anywhere even familiar with Star Trek, know that she played the role of Uhura, who was the um, communications officer. Um, on the enterprise. Um, and as uh, if you've read some of the obituaries that have been out, I think she was very much instrumental. Um, I think especially on a science fiction show to see someone um, like her was important. I think it, it started a lot of um, careers, especially for um, women and and persons of color in um, the sciences, especially the space program. Um, I think for for me as a little kid, I mean, I've never been probably the strongest in science, but I've always loved the space program and, and I've always had interest in in things going on in science fiction. And I can remember as a little kid um, growing up in Michigan, they would show Star Trek and I'd watch the show in the, initially didn't hold my interest but i think what i remember is actually seeing uh michelle nichols as uhura and all of a sudden it kind of perked my interest that there was someone that looked like me and they were on this spaceship and that fascinated me and um i think you know that kind of began a a lifelong interest in star trek um I think that she uh, is, you know, people have talked about the fact that um, Martin Luther King was someone that definitely really urged her. She was actually planning on leaving the show in her first season and really urged her to stay because of of the importance she made. And she did Um, to the point that NASA actually hired her for several years to help get people interested um, in the space program. Um, and I believe that Dr. Mae Jemison, who was uh, the first African American woman in space, was someone who was inspired by Nichelle Nichols. Um, I've always been. I think that you know representation. Sometimes we talk about that, and it does matter. And and sometimes people will say, "Well, what's the big deal? Does it matter if someone looks like you?" to spur you into doing something? And, you know, my answer is yes and no. I think you don't necessarily need someone to look like you to do what you want to do, but I don't think it hurts. And, in fact, I think it can sometimes make a difference that something that you may have not even considered um, all of a sudden is a possibility because you've seen someone that, looks like you that can do this and I think that that is what Nichelle Nichols did is that she made a difference I think in a lot of kids lives whether or not they went into science they were interested in this because of what she did and because they saw her on tv so this is kind of a long and rambling way of just saying um, to Nichelle Nichols to say thank you and Godspeed! Um, you were a hero. You were a trailblazer. You were an icon. Thank you. That is it for uh, this episode of Church in Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Uh, please go to the website at churchinmaine.org. You, there, you can um, watch videos. You can um, I do do some, vid- some video clips of fast interviews. Um, Also, you can go to watch or listen to past episodes, um, and you can also make a donation. So you can go to churchandmain.org. So I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you again for listening. Take care, Godspeed, and I will see you very soon.